Good morning, church. As um, perhaps you heard earlier, we are looking into the book of Ezra. I know that's right up there with your favorite reading. And we're specifically taking a look at Ezra 7 to 10. We're going to actually try to fly through the end of this book. Um, Would it help if I take this off? Thank you. I do not know where that's coming from today. It seems a weird thing, but there it is. Which one of you is sitting back there with a mic just scratching the top of it just for fun? Come on, own it. (laughs) Do I need to just grab a handheld? I can try that. Sorry, technical difficulties. Maybe that did it. Cord's not moving around now. Okay, we'll try that. Anyway, we're, we're looking at Ezra chapter 7, and uh, as we are, ignore the other sounds you hear, as long as I can. I've, this is terrible for an ADD person. All right, we're switching. Jeff, I'm going to switch to this white mic, and I'm just going to live with it, Okay. See what I can do with two hands. Okay. So, as we're looking at Ezra chapter 7, really, I'm just going to skip all of that and just do this. I just have faith. As we're looking at Ezra chapter 7, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to fly through a bunch of stuff. There's just going to be like four or five things on the screen. But this is a passage of Scripture, 7 to 10, worth looking at, worth reading, and worth reading carefully. As was stated this morning, as Greg said this morning, there are some interesting things going on here, some interesting dynamics going on. And uh, Ezra is known as a reformer. Most people know only one thing about Ezra. They know that at the end of the book, he makes a bunch of Jewish men separate themselves from their wives because they're unequally yoked. See, they are kids. I told you you would see. There it is. The camel and the donkey trying to pull a plow because they were unequally yoked. Do you know what a yoke is? A yoke is that, that thing that goes around the neck of an animal that gives, the, gives their shoulders strength, gives their shoulders something to pull against, so that when the plow is connected to the yoke, they can pull and that plow can be directed by the person behind them. We don't use a lot of yokes today. We don't use, in fact, you pretty much have to go to a, to a, a history-related um, parade to see a yoke most of the time, or go to a shop where they're, they're showing historical artifacts. But it was a common tool, and the idea that you would be yoked together unequally was something people had seen. Now, I want you to understand something. Jesus invites you to be yoked together with him. That, my friends, is unequally yoked. Right? You got Jesus and all the power of the universe and you. Jesus is the one unequally yoked, right? Because you and I are not helping. 
In fact, we're probably hindering. And that's the point of this unequal yoke. The donkey has one mind. The camel has a different mind. There's a different way of looking at the world, a different way of thinking about things. There's a different pace. There's different size. And all we really know about Ezra is the end of this book. And I'll get to that. But I want you to hear about Ezra at the beginning of the book. Look at what the Bible says. It's this description of him at the beginning. We're going to touch this text three times. Ezra had prepared his heart to see the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach its statutes. Ezra had prepared his heart for this moment in time. He had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. He wanted to understand what God had for him. He had prepared his heart to do what he learned. And he had prepared his heart to teach it to others. Is that not a description of what Christianity is about? Isn't that what the followers of God have always been called to do? To learn what God is trying to give us, to do what God is trying to show us, and to show others what we've discovered. That's what Christianity is, right? It's that process. Learn it, do it, demonstrate it, show it. That's what we're called to be and do. So I want to give you a little quick background. He arrives in in 457 B.C., Ezra arrives in 457 B.C. It's been 81 years since Cyrus sent the Jewish people home. 81 years since Cyrus sent the Jewish people home. Therefore, it's 151 years since Daniel went into captivity. It's a century and a half. Since the story we started with back several weeks back, since that story started, it's 151 years. Since they've gone home, it's 81 years. It's been 58 years since the temple was completed. So imagine the building plan that they all went back. Get the temple started. Renew our vows. Renew our temple. Build a place for our God's love to be demonstrated. When all of that finally happened and the people cheered and they were thankful and they praised God and they began the worship of God and the sacrifices and they, 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 they built that central, central theme of their lives back into place. It's been 58 years since then. It's been 26 years since Esther became queen of Persia. So I want you to put some big facts together. Greg said something I want you to catch. He, he, we, we, were, we did not talk this through. But Greg said that these people have been impacting the kingdom in such a way they have bringing, they've been, been, a, been a point of contact with God in such a way that they've influenced the people around them so much so that Cyrus sends them back and lets them rebuild and gives them the finances to do it. And then later here, <clears throat> excuse me, Artaxerxes sends them back, gives them a call to go ahead and teach the commands of God and continue to rebuild. In fact, he, he sends a bunch of wealth back with them to beautify the sanctuary. They have been such an impact over the last 150 years that the Babylonians and the Persians are giving blessings to the Jews as they serve their God. First through Nebuchadnezzar the king, and now at last through Artaxerxes 150 years later. 
Ezra, this new sheriff in town, he's a scribe, which means he's a writer and an expert in the law. He's a writer of the law. He's a recorder of things of God, and he's an expert in the law. He's a priest. He's descendant of Aaron, and he's a leader of temple worship. Now, understand, being a priest and a scribe was a big deal. So he's a pretty important guy, even in the Babylonian exile. Even when he's off in Babylon, he's a pretty important guy to the people of Israel because especially when you're far away, listen carefully, especially when you're far away from the central themes of your life, when you've wandered way off into another place and you're on some other errand, when you're out there in the hinterlands where Babylon is, you need people in your life who are experts in following God to help guide your life. Some of us are called into positions that make life more difficult. And when we are in those positions, we need guys like this. And he is a teacher, a scholar that is tasked with sharing what he knows. We see this in full flower in actually Nehemiah chapter 8. And we'll get there quickly. We're going we're gonna to run through Nehemiah like a sprinter. But we will just buzz through it. And just to give you a quick taste of this return home and how they get home and reestablish all that is their life. And then once we get there, just previews of things to come. I just want you to see what this is, because this establishes the sort of the sort of church that Jesus finds. 400 years later. Okay, so these guys are establishing the church that Jesus will find 400 years later. And we'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll, we'll try to sew some things together at that point. But get who this guy is, right? This is, a, this is an important guy. This is an important guy. Here's that statement again. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and do it and to teach the statutes and ordinances of Israel. He did this while he was in Babylon. He didn't do this after he got home. He did this while he was in Babylon. He prepared himself for the day that God would take him into into Jerusalem before he ever had a passport. Before he ever had the tickets to go. Before there was ever a call on his life. Before he knew that this was what happening. He began to prepare himself for a, a city whose builder and maker was God. Like his forefather Abraham, he would be called out of Babylon to go to Jerusalem. To reestablish worship of God. To reestablish the the commitment of those people to Torah and to Moses. To following what God had called them to do and to be. This guy began to prepare himself before he ever left Babylon. For the call on his life that God had for him. Think how that fits in your breast pocket today. Consider what God might have planned for you and I tomorrow. Have we prepared our heart? Because remember, that's where he starts. He begins to prepare his heart. Have we prepared our heart to seek after God, to follow after God, and to be able to share what we've discovered? Have we just gotten our hearts around that? Just, I want you to stop for a sec. Stop for a sec. Look up. Okay. I want you to consider just one, one heart preparation. Ready? Okay. This is the truth. God has already done whatever was necessary to save you. Is your heart ready for that? 
Because it's easy for me to get that up here. It's easy for me to say that, hey, the, the work of Jesus was adequate for the salvation of mankind. Every single one, that includes me. Now, I just want you to stop for a sec. Stop worrying about work. Stop worrying about your kids. Stop worrying about your wife. Stop worrying about your husband. Stop worrying about being Father's Day. Stop worrying about the fact you didn't get a present. Stop worrying about the fact you didn't buy a present. Stop worrying. I want you to lean back in your chair just a little bit. Take a relaxed position like you're watching TV. Not all of you are doing this. I'm looking at you guys. I can see what you're doing. It's not like it's dark in here. I want you to lean back. And I want you to embrace the fact that you can trust what God has done. Embrace the fact that you can trust what God has already accomplished for you. That your eternity rests not in what you know, but in who you know. Not in what you do, but what he did. Your eternity is secure because the anchor of your eternal salvation is Jesus Christ. And he can be trusted with you and with your future the rest of your life. Okay, deep breath. It's like we're doing a fitness class or something, right? You're in his hand. He's got this. Prepare. Yeah, it's a good it's good news. Preparing your heart to seek a God you can trust, to understand what he wants you to do, because now that you trust him, it's cool. And to begin to learn to share that with others. He's sent there and chapter 14 says this is what he's sent to do. Whereas you are being sent by the king and his seven counselors to to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Artaxerxes says, you get it. You understand what it means to follow God. You understand. You've been seeking after God. You've been learning his law. You've been following him. You get it. You understand. And I, the king of Persia, recognize this in you. So therefore, you go back and see how your people are doing concerning this. Inquire with your people, not about their political situation, not about the standing of their land, not about the building of the temple, not about the the state of the wall. Go and inquire of the people how they're doing with God. Go and check in with Israel, see how Israel is doing with God. We find out later in this chapter that he had told the king, in fact, I'll show you the text. He had told the king, when we follow God, he protects us. When we don't, we're in trouble. And Artaxerxes is saying, we've got trouble. So I want you to go and talk to your people and see if they're following God, if they're actually doing what they're asked to do by God, if they're behaving like I see you behaving today. He is this point of contact, this point of grace. He is that connection point between God and this Persian king. This Persian king bent on running the world has this little light shining in his, in his, in his estate, this little light. And he sees it. And he recognizes it. 
Now, he's been tuned to it probably by Daniel and, and by Cyrus's experience with Daniel and with the book of Isaiah, hundred years before even that. And, and he's been tuned to this by Esther, who's been living for over two decades in the house of the king. She may even, by the way, be his mother. He's been tuned to this frequency by his interaction with people who followed God. And in being tuned to this frequency, he recognizes a follower of God when he sees one. And he says, I want you to go back to Israel, check in with them and see how they're doing with their relationship with God. How are they doing with this business of following God? Here's what's been going on around him. Ten years before the Greeks defeated the Persians on on land and at sea at a word that I really tried to figure out how to say, you're a Medan, I think. And Xerxes is later murdered at court. His father is later murdered at court. And the argument is it's because of this loss. Their army is massacred. Their fleet is destroyed. They go back. This is their final sort of defeat at the hands of the Greeks. The Greeks will rise up later and take over the entire empire. But this has just put a damper on the entire, entire Persian empire. Egypt was in revolt just a few years before in 463, and they put it down. They're making noise of revolt again. He can see there's a stirring of discontent and disruption in the world around him. You see that? You feel that? You understand that today? You may be the light. You may be the one with the finger up saying, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm not hiding this thing. You may be the one selected by someone in authority and power who says, hey, I know what a follower of God looks like, and that's one. That guy, that gal right there, that's one. And I'm going to ask them to go on an errand on my behalf to see how things are going with the believers in their realm. Because a king has been told that if he follows God, followers of God are protected and cared for by God. And it's been demonstrated in Daniel's life and in Esther's life And in Zerubbabel's life. And now he sees it in Ezra's life. He says, man, this this isn't isn't apparently happening in my world. My world's been kind of in disruption for the last couple of decades. There, There must be an answer to this. Let's send this guy to figure it out. And Ezra had been preparing for that. I don't think Ezra could have predicted that this was what was going to happen. But he'd been preparing. He'd been preparing for what God would send him to do. He was preparing in his heart. Get a little picture into Artaxerxes' mind. He says, whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be diligently done for the house of God, the God of heaven. For why should there be, what? Wrath against the king and the realm of a king and his son. Ezra gets ready to go, and Ezra says, I felt encouraged because the gracious hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered some leaders of Israel to return with me to Jerusalem. Is it a good thing to go on God's errands by yourself? When Jesus was sending out the disciples, did he send them out by themselves? No. The minimum number we ever see is two by two, right? When he, when he actually gathers the group, he gets a dozen of them. You need people around you to support what's going on. You need people to support the decisions you're making. Because it's much easier for your life to be blown out when you don't have somebody else helping keep it lit, right? 
You need the fellowship of believers. You need support from one another. Then his honesty comes up. We prayed that he would give us safe. He's praying to God that he would give us a safe journey and protect us, our children and our, our goods as we traveled. For I was ashamed as the king's to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us to protect us from the enemies along the way. So we began to pray for protection from God because I was ashamed to ask the king for help. I knew he'd help me, but I was ashamed to ask him. Why? Because I had told the king, our God's hand of protection is on all who worship him, but his fierce anger rages against those who abandon him. So can you put some pictures together quick? Just quick. Here's your history, quick, quick picture. So we start over here. Daniel goes off 151 years ago. He's been captured and taken off to, to, to Babylon. He's living a godly life and the Babylonians see his life and they see how he goes about his life and they begin to, to understand that this God of Israel is different. He's making an impact in these people's lives. He's protecting them. Even as they're being hauled off in captivity, he's still protecting them. And he sees this integrity in this guy. And it transforms Nebuchadnezzar's life. And Daniel lives through the Babylonian captivity until he comes to that point when the Babylonian captivity is finally going to end. And this guy Cyrus rolls in. And Cyrus is told about Isaiah's prophecy a hundred years before he was born. Of what he would do and who he would be. And as that moment, that line in the sand gets drawn, Cyrus gets an awareness of who God is. And who's standing there still? Old 70, 80 year old Daniel still following after God. Here's this man, geriatric now, but his heart's not geriatric. It's still following God like it was when he was a young pup. He's geriatric now, but his worship of God is stronger and founded deeper and more intense now. Because he's had practice after practice after practice, situation after situation. He's faced good times, he's faced hard times, and he's going through all those times with God because this man is going to be a follower of God come what may. And that's the guy Cyrus meets when he comes to the throne. And Cyrus is impacted by this guy and says, send him home, send him home. Their prophet predicted that I would be here. Are you kidding me? Send him home. And then... 81 years passed. Longer than the captivity. 81 years. A decade longer than the captivity itself. And this new king has, has, has been aware of these people. What's gone on? A, a, a young woman who is selected from just among the people becomes the queen of Persia two decades ago. And she touches the lives. In fact, Xerxes is is said to have been a king who was heavily influenced by his wives. He is said to be a king whose wife had a major impact on him and who had heavily influenced by him. And the Bible tells us who the wife was. Two decades later... This guy, Ezra, is moving around the kingdom and a new king comes on the throne and he sees the disruption and, the, and the, the, the distortions of things going on in his empire and he says, something bad's going on. I remember the stories about that guy, Daniel. I, re- I remember watching the life of es- Esther. I understand what's going on and I see this guy. He's been preparing himself to do something different. He's been preparing himself to follow God even in this bad place, even in this hard place, even in Babylon. He's chosen to follow God. In the midst of all of this, let's Send him back and see if the problem here is that the people of God aren't following God. He goes, go back and see what you can find out. Ezra's prepared himself in his heart for a moment. 
A moment just like this. We say of Esther, you know, because Mordecai said, maybe you were born for such a time as this. Well, can you go back and say, hey, Daniel, maybe you were born for such a time as this. Hey, Cyrus, you were definitely prophesied to be born for such a time as this. Oh, by the way, yeah, Esther, such a time as this. And Ezra, such a time as this. And I want you to stop in your own head and just apply your own name. Fill in the gap. Walt, for such a time as this. Fill in your own name for such a time as this. Go ahead. Fill in your own name for such a time as this. A time when American politics is crazy. A time when... When, when a man can walk into a gay bar because it's a gay bar and kill 50 people, injure 53 other people just because he can, just because he doesn't care, just because of the hate born inside of him, just, just because. We live in a dangerous world, but it's not an accident you're in this world. It's not an accident you are here today. It's not an accident that you are alive today. Push back against the darkness. Push back in the power and authority of the heavens against the darkness. Push back in your prayers. Push back in your devotional life. Push back in your own commitment. Stand before God in honor and integrity with your heart sewn directly to his, with that yoke around your neck that is around Jesus' neck so that you can make it through whatever comes. You can plow whatever field is offered to you to plow. You can push through whatever stone is in your way because you're not the one pulling. You're just trying to keep out of Jesus' way. For such a time as this, for such a time as this, for such a time in your personal life, for such a time in your, in your financial life, for such a time in your business life, for such a time as this, he prepared his heart to seek after God, to follow what God showed him and then show other people what he had discovered. You have discovered the grace of God is enough to care for you. You have discovered the grace of God is enough to protect you. You've discovered the grace of God is enough to be extended over you for the rest of your life into eternity. You've discovered the grace of God is the answer to the empowerment of your will to follow after God. there was ever a time when the world needed to understand that they can only follow God by the grace of God, today is such a time. We need people who do it, who understand it, who know it, who've practiced it, to be able to say, people, say to people who have no idea that it can work for them. You know, the best testimony is, if it can work for me, it can work for you. He prepared his heart to know and understand what God was calling him to do, to seek after and follow what God had led him to become, and then to share that with those he came in contact with. Before he can catch a breath, he, he arrives, he tells them why he's there, he reads the Martyr Xerxes' letter, and they come to him with this big, huge problem. I'm kind of wrapping up here, folks. He doesn't invent this problem. He doesn't even say this is the problem. He comes and they tell him it's the problem. The locals tell him the problem is this. 
He says, Artaxerxes sent me here. And the message he sent to me with says that I'm supposed to find out how you're doing with the law of God, how you're doing with your following after God, how you're doing with your relationship with God. And they come to him and they say, when these things have been done, he's answering this. The Jewish leaders came to me and said, many of the people of Israel and even some of the priests and Levites have not kept themselves separate from the other peoples living in the land. For the men of Israel have married women from these people and have taken them as wives for their sons. Now, this is the part where we want to get a little nervous. and We go, "Uh oh, I don't want to talk about this. I didn't want to talk about this. One of you, when I said we were talking about Ezra, it's your fault. One of you said, if we're going to talk about Ezra, you have to bring up chapter 10. And you have to go all the way through. And they were right. It would be chicken of me not to. But here we are. And we're talking about being unequally yoked. Okay. Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have transgressed and you have taken pagan wives and adding to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore make confession to the Lord God your Father and do His will. Separate yourself from the people of the land and from your pagan wives. I guess they weren't taking pagan husbands. I've met a few. Why does he do this? Why is this such a big deal to God? Later, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament will say, if you're married to an unbeliever, stick with them. Stay with them. They might be converted because of you. If they want to leave you, that's okay. Let them go. But if, if, they, if you are married to somebody who's not following after God, he says, stick with them. Stick with them. They may be converted for, because of you. So why is this such a big deal at this moment? How would they survive in Babylon? By staying faithful to God in every area of their life and actually staying separate, separate from Babylon. They had to remain separate from the Babylonian culture completely in order to survive. They had just experienced what that was like, and here they were. Number two, what had happened to their brothers? The ten northern tribes, just like them, had been taken into captivity. And as they had gone into captivity, they had not stayed separate from the culture of the Assyrians, and they completely disappeared. We call them the ten lost tribes because their bloodline's not lost. It's just so mingled that nobody knows what happened to them. They got so mixed up in the culture that they were living. Listen carefully. They got so mixed up in the culture where they were living that their identity disappeared. What had Moses told them? When you go into Canaan, don't mix with them. They have filled up the cup of their iniquity. The reason you're replacing them is because they have gone so far off the rails that they don't even follow God anymore. They don't even know God anymore. They don't even hear God anymore. They've gotten so far away from God that your, their only hope is your purity. Stay, stick with me. Their only hope is your commitment to God. Their only hope is your purity and your service to God. Their only hope. They have lost the picture of God so completely. The only picture they're ever going to see is you. So keep your picture clear and bright and in technicolor. And what was their relationship with God? Wrong there. The king had sent him back because the nature of the relationship that those people had with God had become weak enough that it was beginning to cause problems 
in the neighborhood. So where are you unequally yoked? So now you're you're sitting there and you're saying, well, not my slide. I'm not yoked at all. I'm unyoked. Not my slide. Uh, I married a good Adventist boy, good Adventist girl. Not not my slide. No, I'm 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 equally yoked. I'm 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 right on par. I'm I'm I got this nailed. Not my slide. Do you know you can be unequally yoked with an idea? Did you know you could be unequally yoked? There are ideas that are not godly. And if that idea has sunken into your heart and become what you believe, it become your identity, you are unequally yoked with an idea. The idea that you can take someone else's money, that you can defraud another person, that's an idea that makes you unequally yoked. The idea that you can choose who you believe is a follower of God among all the people in the world is an idea that makes you unequally yoked. The idea that, it, that some people matter more than other people is an idea that makes you unequally yoked. Some of us are in business partnerships that are unequal in the way we're yoked. Our, our business partner's a crook, we know it, and we stick with them. Because crooks bring in the money. Some of us are unequally yoked with a radio station. I've got a couple radio stations that I need to turn off. You? Some of us are unequally yoked with some of the stuff we're putting in our mind. The books we're reading. The music we're listening to. The people whose jokes we laugh at. Some of us are unequally yoked. I know it's gotten personal. I wore my suit and tie. I had to take it off a minute ago, but I came. I told, I prepared you. He went home to discover that the people of Israel were getting lost among the people around them. And that the only hope of the world they were sent there to serve was that they kept a clear picture of God. We don't drum this idea very much. But life is harder when you're unequally yoked. You think it would have been easier to plow this field with a couple of oxen? Or with that team. There's, there's, there are several pictures of these, this weird, unequally yoked couple here on the internet. And they get the plowing done. But it's harder. I do a lot of premarital counseling. And when I do premarital counseling, I'm trying to avoid postmarital counseling. I'm trying to avoid having them back in my office in six months or a year or two years because they, they didn't listen or they didn't talk or they didn't hear one another. And I see that people are naturally unequally yoked. One's a male, one's a female. There's a problem. They don't think alike. They don't act alike. 
They don't dream alike. One of them has a box they can go to that is quiet and peaceful and nobody's in there. They can really do nothing. And the other one doesn't understand how that works. I believe that it is God's call in the world to take two unequally yoked beings and make them one under his guidance. But if you're yoked together with somebody who's not listening for his guidance, you've got a problem. The Apostle Paul says, hang in if you're married to somebody in that situation. God will bless them through you. Now, I need to stop and, and talk to you today. If, if you came here and you think I'm pointing a finger at you because I'm not, I'm pointing a finger at you all. And there's one for me too. Because I understand there are some unequally yoked stands and positions in my life. Some things I need to consider. Some things I need to think about. Some things I need to change. That, that thinking about what it means to be equally yoked. Thinking about what it means to be aligned with other people's hearts. Thinking about what God has called me to do and to be. Has touched who I am. And has touched my heart. And has, God has said to me there are some things you need to change in your life that are unequal and unbalanced. And they're making it harder for you to follow after me. And harder for you to represent me well and harder for you to give a clear image of me to the world around you because you have made a commitment to some idea, something, some activity that is pulling you away from me while I'm trying to pull you home. And God's trying to stay yoked up together with me and I'm dragging not a plow but an anchor. And he says, let go of the anchor, man, you're killing us here. I don't know where we are in the, in, the, in the history chain. It's been three minutes to midnight since I became an Adventist. I don't know, maybe 30 minutes. Jesus may come in the next generation. I don't know. But I know I was called for this generation at this time to represent Jesus as clearly and as directly and as personally as I can. And so are you. If we are going to follow Jesus through to eternity, we have to do it yoked together with Him, not dragging an anchor. I want to challenge you to examine your life this week. What ideas are corrupting the image of God in you? What activities are corrupting the image of God in you? What things in your life Have you all cockeyed in the yoke? I have just this one thing to say. I've said enough. It is the attempt of Christianity to reach the culture, change the culture. Not become the culture. Let's push back against the darkness. Let's be the light God called us to be with the clarity He called us to be it. Because there are people out there for whom you are the last hope. Would you pray with me?
Father God, this passage of Scripture can be tough on us. Lord, I pray for those places where we feel for ourselves, not for our neighbor, not for our kid, not for our spouse, but for ourselves right now, that we have some, some interference between you and us. I pray for conviction. I pray for our hearts to be ready for that conviction. I pray that you would help us to understand your grace is sufficient for whatever it is that you call us to do. That you cover us between here and there, but that this is important. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to let go of what we've been dragging. Some of us have been unequally yoked with memories where we should ask just have given forgiveness and let it go. Some of us are unequally yoked with dreams that aren't from you. They're just from our pride or our selfishness or our want or our, our belief that you have not given us what you should have given us. For some of us, it's business. For some of us, it's just our own heart. We choose to be yoked together with Jesus. We choose to be transformed by the power of who he is. The grace, the mercy, the strength, the authority. We choose you today. We choose to accept the victory already won for us on the cross. We choose to accept the victory already given because you were tempted in all manners like as we and have not fallen, did not fall, and placed that record on account for us. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. We choose that victory knowing our weakness. In Jesus' name, amen.